Here we go, folks, with another episode of the Coopcast. I'm your host, as always, Jason Coop. And just like earlier in the week, this episode is a special COVID-19 edition of the Coopcast. I dropped two podcasts this week just for you guys and you girls because it is a really interesting time. It seems like the whole world has changed overnight, or at least within the last two weeks. And one of the ways that that world has changed is in the space of events and race management. Races have been canceled left and right. They've been postponed. Runners are having a lot of consternation around what they're going to do for the rest of the summer. Are they going to get a refund? Do they want to change their event? Do they want to go to the postponed event? On and on and on and on and on. It is unprecedented. And so to help navigate these wild waters that we're in right now, I brought on no other than CEO of Air Viper Running, Jamil Curry, otherwise known as Jam Jam. It was definitely Jamil Curry, though, for this particular uh, interview. We talked about not only what's going on with uh, his events over at Air Viper Running, but also really race management as a whole and what race directors have to go through to put on events. And there's a wide variety of these people. Some uh, race management companies like Jamil's or uh, Justin's over at Mad Moose, they have a portfolio of events to lean on. And other race management companies, they might just do one race. And that's totally fine. They might do it as a nonprofit, just a service to the community. But... Because of all that in the marketplace, it leads to this very disjointed system of what to do whenever a race has to be canceled or postponed. Do you refund the money? Do you give them a credit for next year? Do you give them credit for another race? Do you refund part of the money? And runners out there right now, I got to be honest with you guys, some of you are handling this quite well. My wife and I, we had a few of our races canceled this year and we just went, meh, okay, whatever, whatever the policy is, we'll go with it. But other runners out there are throwing their hands up in the air. They're complaining and they're giving, they're throwing race directors on the bus. They, they think that they're entitled to a full refund in all situations and on and on and on and on. And I get it. Runners, you guys train for these events for months and then sometimes years. You have travel planned. A lot of that travel is non-refundable. You've paid your race entry fee and you're super excited about going to see your, seeing your friends out on the trails. But when that race gets canceled, a lot of times these race directors, they are left with this impossible situation where they can't satisfy everybody all at the same time. They can't satisfy the athletes that are coming to their race. They can't satisfy the volunteers and their employees, their part-time and full-time employees that might be uh, involved in the race. They can't satisfy their vendors that they have either fully or partially or are going to pay for things like porta potties and aid station supplies and things like that that are related to the event. And they have to navigate these waters these very unprecedented waters with very little blueprint to work from. And so to cut through a lot of the clutter and to hopefully illuminate the situation a lot better and to really reduce the consternation that's out there in the running community, I wanted to, I wanted to peel back the curtain a little bit, or I wanted Jamil as a domain expert to peel back the curtain a little bit on what he is having to go through with his company and what he thinks about this whole situation and what he's going to do for the future. Because I think uh, one of the things that is going to come out of this is the race management landscape is going to look a little bit different after we see the other side of this. There's going to be races that continue to go on and there are going to be races that just go away. And that is really extremely unfortunate uh, because these running races, as we talk about on the podcast, are an integral part of the fabric of our community. It's one of the reasons I go to so many races is because I love it. I love seeing people. I love seeing my athletes go and race and I love seeing uh, the same group of idiots as I so affectionately refer to them at each and every single race weekend after uh, weekend. And I'm missing out on that. I'm, I'm my heart is breaking because I don't get to do one of those things uh, that I enjoy so much during the summer. So I hope you guys and, and gals out there pay attention to this conversation with Jamil and I hope you come out of it. Well, I'll say I'm going to save my opinions for the outro of this particular podcast. Just listen formulate your own opinions, but do stick around 
for the exit of this podcast because I'll give you some of my opinions on this whole situation. And hopefully we're all going to be a better, stronger community out of it. So without any further ado, here we go. The CEO of Air Viper Running, Jamil Curry. How are things going there, man? <laughs> I mean, it's you got all your to hair know. still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really tough. Um, number one, because, yeah, it's, it's our business, it's events, and events are canceled. So, it's and it's a lot of unknowns. It's like we don't know how long this is going to go, how long it's going to last. And so, yeah, the longer it lasts, I think the more stressful it's going to be, obviously. Um, but what we're trying to do is, you know, try and keep our core team. Um, you know, we support a lot of people now. It's not just me putting on races. It's a lot of people involved and a lot of full-time people. So, um, I think that's the most stressful part Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can certainly, I can certainly empathize with that. So I think what kind of what I want to try to do here is I'm going to ask you to like put on and take off your era Viper hat kind of yeah. throughout the okay. course of this because you're, you're, you're a business owner. Yep. You're also a race. You're also you have race directors, but I think you can play race director, correct? Absolutely. But also I would consider you a domain expert in the, in the race management field. And so you can speak to a lot of other different situations that race directors are going through that are different from yours because there's all different types of businesses out there. When we're talking about uh, race management, you have, you know, companies like yours that, as you mentioned, you have to support a lot of people and there's infrastructure and you guys have a packed calendar, which presents logistical issues and things like that. And then you have, uh, you know, other race directors, they, they manage one race and it's a not for profit race. And, you know, they kind of do it on, you know, the back of a napkin with a huge, you know, very, uh, selfless volunteer base and kind of everywhere else in between. And so I think w one of the things I want to kind of communicate kind of throughout this is, you're going to have to like take that hat on and off. And I, I think you're relatively comfortable with that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Sweet, man. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I know it's like a super stressful time for you and the whole era Viper team there. So I, I really do. First and foremost, I kind of, I appreciate your time because I don't, I can't imagine what you and your team's inbox looks like right now. Um, and then you combine that with the planning hurdles that you're now having to face. And then you're combining that with the logistical rigmarole that you're having to go through, not just on the race planning piece, but things having to do with permits and, you know, aid station supplies and procuring, you know, services and, and the like. And what I want to do is I kind of want to try to, I want to, I want to try to lay all that out so that people that are listening can can I can really like walk in your race director shoes for a little bit and and not that I'm intentionally trying to create empathy because I think by and large the trail running community they 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 kind of get it but I do think that a little bit of understanding what's going on and how it's impacting everybody with this COVID nineteen pan uh, pandemic I think it's I think it's really beneficial just to like temper down the angst and anxiety and things like that. So to set the table up just a little bit, this is your air Viper hat. <laughs> you can put your air Viper hat on. Why, why don't you kind of go over what your annual race calendar looks like in terms of the number of events and kind of the number of people that or the number of athletes that you're servicing through those events. Yeah. On an annual basis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, between mountain bike races and running races, it's probably upwards of 40 events annually. And we're servicing, I think off the top of my head, I think it's over 13,000 athletes in the course of the year, which is huge in the trail and ultra world in the North America. I mean, it can be smaller in comparison to any major road marathon, yeah. but it's, it's a lot of people. Yeah. And that, and that's one, that's one thing that's actually one, since you brought that up, that's one thing that I do want to bring up is in the trail and ultra running community, which is largely what this, what the audience is going to be, uh, primarily focused on 
it's a little bit different kettle of fish in terms of how race organizers have to manage these cancellations because these big road marathons like the Boston Marathon, New York City Marathon, and things like that, they're going to have one event. And maybe in the case of Boston where they, they service several events, <clears throat> but the bigger road events, they're going to have one event where they service 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50,000 people. You have 40 events where you're servicing 13,000 people. And one of the things that I think that's important to communicate is not only, duh, that's different, but it pre it presents logistical challenges for moving races around the calendar because your calendar gets packed, but also because of like the numbers and the ratios of people that get impacted. A lot of times the analogies in the road running world that we see, oh, well, Boston Marathon just did this. So everybody should just do that. A lot of those times, those analogies aren't going to quite, aren't going to quite hold true in the trail running space. So you've got 40 events that are servicing 13,000, roughly 13,000 people out of those events right now, how many of them have been just provide a broad overview with how many of them have been impacted by the COVID-19 outbreak and then what your general strategy has been. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the immediate future, I think we've had to postpone six, six or seven events. And we've also paused registration on an additional three or four, just because of the uncertainty. We don't want to keep kind of building up a liability of people signing up in races between middle of currently we're through middle of May where we've postponed. We're kind of all the way through June, we've paused registration. So the next event that we have that's open right now is July 4th run in Silverton, the blue ribbon run. Um, just cause we, we want to just take a pause and see and kind of look ahead and, you know, hopefully we can hold those events as planned and I'm sure people will sign up last minute if they do happen, you know, but you know, we're just gonna take a little break on those. So you're taking almost like a rolling approach because you have a calendar of events where you created some break point and you said, okay, here's our break point right here. And here's what we're going to do before the break point, And here's what we're going to do after the break point. What went yeah. through that calculus right there? Just determining what events are going to kind of like go on as normal. You're going to collect things as normal. And then what events you're going to take like special consideration for whether it's postponement or pausing the, uh, pausing the registration. Yeah, I guess we're looking for input from more, uh, people that are more experts on this than me. So, uh, the, the immediate one was the CDC recommendation of, of, uh, keeping the no events larger than, I think it was 50 people at the time for the next eight weeks. So that was like the immediate, well, we're within that window. We just can't do it. And then there was the, I think it was, is it ultra sports sciences? Yeah. I yep. forget the, that might've been it. Yep. They, they put out a recommendation that was an additional month beyond that till June 15th. Yep. And so those are the ones we paused and that just happened to be all the way through June since we were close enough anyways. So that's, that's where we're at with taking those into consideration, which is obviously tough for us because, you know, we're an event promoter. Our main business is events and we do have events year round, like every two weeks on average. So we've scaled everything up, not only to try and maintain the highest level of organization for these events, but also, you know, we plan to grow and continue to potentially add or scale and service more runners. And, you know, to say that now we can't put events on in the short term, the midterm is unknown. The long term is also unknown. It's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, we plan and we, we, we make staffing decisions and everything that we do and forecast, you know, Oh, we, well, there could be a downturn in the economy and some people are going to sign up less. And it's like, but you know, we were, I think everyone's blindsided by this and you could never have planned this, that the entire industry would effectively be shut down overnight. I know. It and, came, that's it came, and that's what's happened. Yeah. It came to a screeching halt, like really, really quickly. And I want to, I want to talk about this, but to, to summarize it, Jamil, like you're taking uh, we're going to lean on the experts approach with this. 
you're going to look yeah. at the CDC and the uh, ultra endurance me- kind of medical community to a, to a broader extent. And I know Marty uh, Hoffman's group has come out with some specific recommendations, but you're looking at them for guidance and saying, okay, you guys know way more about immunology and, you know, the viral essence of this particular disease than we do and public health policy and things like that than we do. We're going to lean on your recommendations in terms of what to do for our events. And we're going to make decisions based off of that. Yeah. That's one factor for sure. You know, I don't, uh, I, I, cause I think the health and safety is the most important thing. And, um, you know, we got to do our part, I think in all of this, and that's definitely a guiding principle. It's so tough because I have to balance that with supporting a sizable staff and, you know, to, to cancel events means people are losing hours, um, and that they rely upon. So, you know, we were trying to hold out as long as we could, um, until it was clear to us that it wasn't going to be possible. I get it, man. So when did you mention the world came crashing down really quickly? And I think everybody's sort of, they've experienced that in different ways, but for you having to manage a business and then people within that business, it's, it's a totally, it's a, it's a totally different situation. Uh, when do you remember when it came crashing down and like what your immediate reactions were? Um, yeah, I think it was building, in my kind of in my heart, I felt like it was growing over time. Like the right thing to do was to postpone events. And then I think it was Sunday, Sunday evening. It, came, it kind of came crashing down. It was, I think when that, um, that recommendation came out of 50 people, mass gatherings of 50 people by the CDC. And then like our, the governor of Arizona, I think tweeted it out and said, like, we're following this. And I was like, okay, like, that's it. Like we've got to, got to shut down the next two months. And we were, we were thinking even more like, Oh, maybe, maybe we can get through one more race and make it real safe and self-supported. And like, cause everyone we get through, it kind of buys us some more time as a company. And, and then we would maybe cancel or like postpone a couple more. And then we kind of when it, when that statement was made, it was like, okay, this is pretty serious. And we've got to, clear the calendar. And for us, it was a bit of a scramble to see what, what are we going to do for people? And, you know, if we're going to reschedule events, when are we going to do that? How quickly can we do that and, uh, move, move forward? So let's just be really clear though. You operate events in which States, why don't you just kind of run through them all? Cause different States are going to have different, uh, different kind of like levels of lockdown, so to speak is what we're experiencing now. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like localized for now. Um, yeah, mostly Arizona. We're based in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where I'm talking to you from today in my in our office. And we have one weekend of events in Silverton, Colorado, which is two races over two days. And then we have one race in Utah. Okay. So the the recommendations that you're relying on, and I think this is important for people to understand as well, are they mandated? by any level of jurisdiction that you have to operate under, whether it's at the federal level, the state level, the local level, or even another level that you can, you can kind of expand upon, or are they just recommended? And you're saying, we're just taking the recommendations because this presents this option of, is it even an option for you or is it just not an option for you at all? Yeah. Great question. So it's two parts. Um, there, there's obviously the recommendations. I think the CDC ones are ones that some states just adopt them instantly. So Arizona was pretty much immediately adopting it. And so that will f- eventually filter down. So that filters down through the different governments and the different agencies. So for us, a lot of our events are held in Maricopa County regional parks, like Havelina hundred is there. Most of our events are there. So for our event that was supposed to be this weekend, um, you know, I think it was actually two days later, we I finally got an email from them that said, we're working on a two week rolling basis. You know, your event can't happen this weekend. Yeah. And so we are taking a longer look and approach to this because I don't want to have to do this every two weeks to have to like, make announcements. I just kind of wanted to do it and hopefully we can get through it. And then our second phase of the paused registrations was 
that that's not something that we had to do. No one's telling us to do that. There's actually still events on the calendar within this eight week window that are massive events, say in April. Um, I don't know what they're doing. If they're just waiting to be shut down, if they're hopeful, this is going to pass quickly. But for us, for me, the biggest thing, the, like the unknown, the limbo, like it's hard for me to operate in that space, maybe just personally, just as a business. So once like the decision was made, we went into action and we, we, we like knew what our parameters were and we were just like, okay, this is the new world we live in. We're going to move forward. Um, cause we, you know, we want to survive this as a company as intact as possible as we can be. So, um, that's, we're kind of fighting for our lives right now. That's what it feels like. And many, maybe many people feel that way. I don't know. <laughs> well, I want to come back to that and you can be as kind of open and transparent as you want to about how it's going to affect your business. So you can kind of start to organize your thoughts a little bit, but suffice it to say, there's a level of things that are mandated, but then there's also a level of things that are suggested or recommended by various entities and you as the ceo of air viper running are having to navigate both of those and i think what what one of the things that makes this challenging is what you just mentioned this level of uncertainty yeah it's easy for the permitting companies to say well we're going to roll on a two-week you know basis but you can't tell that to your athletes right you can't tell that to the people that are coming to race it's like oh we'll tell you in two weeks what we're going to do we're going to tell you another two weeks what we're going to do we're going to tell you another like that's not like people need to plan stuff you know so you got to operate with both those levels of mandated, you know, um, mandated restrictions and also recommended restrictions. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've making a last minute decision, holding out hope. I think (laughs) I've learned, I've learned, uh, I made mistakes in the past, maybe, um, you know, even at like black Canyon, um, what, it last year kind of wait until the last minute to decide on our alternate course um you know it all it all turned out for the best um obviously it was obviously the right call but i think it did create a lot of uncertainty for the athletes that i'm not proud of just from an organizational level i don't think anyone was negatively impacted on race day they everyone was safe and and everything, but it, I think it created a lot of stress internally for our staff. And that's something I don't want to do <laughs> anymore. Well, you bring up a really good point, Jamel. Like, this is not your first rodeo. I think that, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to give you a little shit because I know you well and I think I could do it. Like, people look at you and they look at the hair and they look at the goofy attitude. And, you know, you've got the jam jam personality and this really cool, like, social media presence and stuff like that. And it's easy to dismiss the fact that. You're a really whiz CEO at what you've been able to do. I, I, and I'll, 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 I can speak from my own personal experience. I've gotten to see endurance events, not just trail running events, cycling events, triathlon events, road running events, all across the world and all different formats for, for 20 years. And I always make it a mention when or I always make it a point to mention when I see you that I appreciate what you guys do because I can see what goes on behind, or I can understand what goes on behind the scenes to curate an event with an athlete first focus. And you, you and your team that you've assembled there does that impeccably. But what's relevant to this is, as I mentioned earlier, it's not your first rodeo. Do you have any blueprint to like work off of in terms of course, you know, course reroutes because of some weather event, you know, fires that happen in the area, a permit gets pulled for some bizarre reason. We all, we all know that that happens for, you know, a myriad of different things. Is there anything, anything in your experience that you could have, that you're now leaning on that's helping you direct the decisions that you're making? Absolutely. And first off, I appreciate everything you just said. Um, but second off, yes. I mean, I've been doing this for 12 years now and I think I, yeah, I definitely was drawn to this profession. Um, and not just being an entrepreneur, but being, you know, race directing, I think requires a level of problem solving and crisis management a lot of times. And yeah, we've had, I mean, countless things and they vary from something that's somewhat minor to catastrophic. Um, I mean, I can think back to 2010 across the years when we first took it over and we had 24 hours of rain and it was just the whole thing turned to a sloppy mess. 
and 40 mile an hour winds blowing, trying to blow away our tents and that weren't staked down very well. You know, that was something that was a small scale event to something large, like a, you know, flash floods in the Agua Fria river for black Canyon that forces a last minute reroute. Um, so yeah, this is just a, a thing on a whole new scale and this will, I guess, yeah, redefine what we do. And if we succeed through this, it's, you know, going to be a whole nother set of skills, I guess, in crisis management. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like we've got these like little points of blueprints that we might be able to draw from, but it's a whole brave new world, man. Um, so, so, so speaking of that, like all races out there, they have a standard cancellation policy and they, they vary, you know, some people are going to refund everything. Some people are going to run 50, refund 50% up until a certain date. Some people are going to be able to, uh, transfer their entry from one race to another and blah, blah, blah. Can you just give us an overview of what your standard cancellation policy is and how, or if you've uh, been able to modify it during this time? Sure. Yeah. That is a hot topic right now, I think for for everyone. And we're all navigating it on both ends in terms of race directors and companies and runners. And and we're a lot of us play on both sides. I'm a runner too. I sign up for races as well. So yeah, I think our standard is, you know, no refunds is our, our basic thing um, in terms of money back, but we like to do a, a lot for our athletes in terms of flexibility if you can't make it. So pretty much standard is, is a 75% credit towards any one of our other events within 30, 30 days or more before an event. So for any reason, if you can't come, you know, 75% of that paid, you can use for anything coming up. Fortunate for us, we have so many events that people can apply that immediately to almost anything coming up. They can use it and we usually use it a, a year out. So, um, with, if it's under 30 days to 72 hours before the race, it's usually 50%, um, usually for not for any reason, but like an injury, things like that. Um, but we're usually pretty flexible with people. Um, so yeah, that's our kind of standard policy. Um, for this, I just felt like, um, I don't know. I just want to do as much as we can do on our end for those affected. Um, but yeah, it's pretty intense when you think about losing six events in eight weeks. Um, yeah. So for us, an outright cancellation or like the idea of, of refunding that it's, it's not really possible. We would instantly probably go out of business just because, you know, the infrastructure we have, we've, we've been paying salaries for people to produce these events on a rolling basis. So that is a lot of that's being spent. Yes. We have some coming in for later, but we've got to, we've got to come and make these events happen. And for me, like I want to make the event experience happen. So, um, yeah, basically what we've been doing, um, for these events that have been postponed is we're going to do an automatic, you go right into the postponed date. If you can't make our new date this year, go right into next year. So it's like totally across the board. You still get to come and run the race you signed up for. It just is going to be later than we both had hoped. Um, if you want to switch to a different event, like pull out of that one, go to another one, we're doing a 75% credit. So you can kind of, "Ah, I don't want to do that one anymore. I want to do this one instead. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the basic. We're also doing a virtual run option for people that, you know, maybe they just want to go out on their own. They want the swag. Let's do this. Um, take it now. I, I think that's awesome. Can you expand on the virtual run? Because this is something that's relatively new. And I also think it's cool. And then we'll, we'll circle back to this race cancellation thing. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of still figuring it out as we go, but essentially, <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> um, you know, like some people could still at this point, we're not in total lockdown in the United States. Like we, you know, I'm looking over here and people are driving on the freeway from my office window. You know, it's like, People are still out doing stuff. Um, maybe we shouldn't be, but yeah, maybe people want to go run the course on their own. Like this Sunday, um, we're going to get them their shirt and their finisher glass and their bib. And then they submit their, um, their race time to us. We'll have a virtual result and that'll go for all of our events over this period of time. So if they just want to do it now, or they can go run it wherever they live and just do the miles on that day and share their experience. Cool. I think, I I think that's cool as shit, Jamel. Um, so coming back to your race cancellation policy, in essence, you're just saying we, 
we want to we want to de- we want to delay the impact or spread the impact of this somehow some way between postponed events and your other po- portfolio of events you're just trying to spread it around kind of any which way you can and w- one of the advantages of having a big calendar as you guys have is you guys can do that right i mean you guys have diversification amongst uh the races that you have in terms of distance price point time of year like all these things but but and this is where i'm gonna have to ask you to take off your air vipa ceo hat and kind of talk for race directors abroad or everywhere um not all races are in that position a lot of races have one or two options. I personally, I have two camps during the summer that I've run for several years and they're in the May timeframe and I had to cancel both of them outright. I didn't have the option to push them around because of everything else that's kind of going on all summer. I don't have the inventory to, 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 to push things around like that. So in order to paint this picture of what those other race directors are going through, why don't you give a brief summary of where let's kind of like peel back the curtain a little bit in terms of like how how people's money gets spent when they come into a race and when those things kind of get locked into place because i think what that'll do is for the race directors or the races that might or might have just like one or two events on the calendar it just start like not a lot of people realize what happens at what point yeah, sure. I mean, for us, I think we are in a unique position because we, you know, we have kind of a, a model, like we built a machine, so to speak. And we're, we kind of, you know, every two weeks we produce an event. So it's kind of like we have a, this rolling infrastructure of everything that happens. But yeah, I think people, so we, a lot of times we're very much, um, we're pretty, we're more nimble maybe in, in that regards where, you know, we have like a, an ordering system where we kind of order things just in time when we need them. So I think we try and keep our costs going just like, right. We, we order bibs at this exact point, three weeks out from an event or these awards two weeks out from an event, whatever it is. So we can delay some of those costs. Some people, maybe they're like, my bet sells out. I get everything done five months in advance and I've spent all that money and it's sitting in my garage at my house. And, you know, yeah, you can probably cancel portable restrooms. You can, you won't have to pay all the permitting fees post event. So you're going to save a little bit, but also if it's a piece of your income as a sole proprietor or a very small business where it's maybe just a husband and wife, it's a small family, you know, they're, they are, they could in essence be, you know, living off some of that income where they've, they've kind of timed it where they are living on that future income or like for the work they're doing leading up to it, they're, they're not sitting on that wad of cash, I think, to the last minute. Um, now with that being said, you know, if there are some savings that came back, I think showing that you're willing to take a bit of a hit, cause I'm definitely gonna be taking a hit. Oh my God. You know, like, let's get that clear. <laughs> We pushed all our events back to the fall. We're, we're now having an event every single weekend. People can't run 50 miles every weekend. I mean, maybe <laughs> we all will after this and we're all going to need to. But I mean, yeah, we're, our business is going to be down for sure. We just don't know how much, um, even till next year if we're postponing. So we're, we're going to have to make decisions and, and cutbacks. But um, yeah, I think we're, what we're trying to do is... I know I'm like bouncing back and forth with my hat, but yeah, yeah. yeah, I think trying to show that you, you, what you, what you can do for runners, I think will be appreciated, you know, um, even if it's, um, you know, a, a small credit towards next year or, or something. Um, I'd also don't know everyone's position. I'm not in other people's shoes. I don't know how they've set things up. So I can't, I can't fully say what, what people should be doing. Do you, do you, op- I, I'm, I'm assuming you operate your business on a P and L basis, like primarily, P&L. yeah, just your profit and loss. Like you're just looking at profit events, loss of the events, and that's how you're making decisions. Yeah. And, but the reason that I mentioned that, well, I mean, now it's a lot different, obviously, because you're thinking more about cash yeah. flow. But the reason that I present yeah. that is a lot of smaller organizations and a lot of smaller race companies to your earlier point they're operating off of a cash flow basis. So they open their race up, 
they get all of their race re- they get all of their race reg fees in, which is their primary source of income. They say, okay, I'm sitting on fifty thousand dollars, whatever the race, you know, whatever the race is occurring at that point. Now I'm going to go and buy all of my assets. I'm going to go buy the bibs. I'm going to go put a deposit down on the timing company. I'm going to go buy the awards. I'm going to go buy the shirts and things like that. But they do it on a cash basis. They see the cash come mm-hmm. in. They have a certain amount of cash. They kick the cash out for all of those certain assets. And mm-hmm. now they're stuck in this position where they can't fulfill on the service that they've promised. But yep. they don't have the cash flow to just refund everybody. And so they look at it and they're like, okay, what can we like reasonably afford to re- like reasonably afford to to refund? You're in a, like a slightly different position because you've got rolling cash flow, right? You've got events coming in mm-hmm. from 40 of them kind of all throughout the year. So it's a little bit of a different proposition. And kind of what I wanted to get out of that is that a lot of the times the smaller race organizations, they don't have this big portfolio of income that they're drawing from to, to, to run their business. And that's their right to do it. A lot of them just do it. They do it as a nonprofit, right? Or they just do it as a service to the community, but it's a different business setup as compared to when we're looking at these other big types of events, like a concert or the Boston marathon or something else where they have, where they just have a way of, of kind of like offsetting the, the, the refunds or the revenue drop that they're going to see because of whatever cancellation. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I have to add on that. <laughs> no, it's good, um, man. It's yeah. good. I want to talk a little bit more about like the assets that you do have. Um, and I'll, I'm going to bleed this into a kind of a question that I got from Kim on Instagram. Some of the eight stations supplies that you guys have are perishable. Some of them are evergreen, but some of them are perishable. What do you do with the ones that are, that are perishable either after an event and they're, and you can't use them anymore or during this where you're not going to be able to use them for like eight weeks. Yeah. I mean, yes, we try and get dialed in on our ordering. You know, we have a lot of experience every, every week or two, we have an event. So we try and minimize our waste or get things in time where we can use them. You know, if we don't use this, these packages of tortillas at this event, they're still sealed, good to go for the one in two weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had, I know we have down right now below me in our, our warehouse, we've got you know, being stacked up for damn good run aid stations and then um, Crown King Scramble. It's all right. Re- it's all packed and ready to go as it would happen. It's all full of, you know, all the food. Um, actually, our staff has just gone home with it. So we've divvied it up. I went home with a huge box of food. So I've got so much stuff right now. Um, yeah, the that's air what vi- we're doing with it. The Air Viper team is on the aid station food diet. Yeah. I mean, you can't find some of this stuff in stores, so it's good. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> um, what no, I mean, for me, it was, for me, it was actually some pretty good stuff and also stuff we've had on hand. Um, even since like across the years, just like bags of rice and things like that. So we're just trying to clear it out and yeah. Do you donate any <laughs> of it to like local food shelters? Do you ever accumulate that big of a surplus? We do sometimes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and I know that you're not in a position right now that, where you're going to actually run a race in the near future, but I'm sure that you're starting to put together some procedures in place for your staff, for your aid station workers and people that are going to come into contact with the athletes, whether it's during registration or the race itself. Um, why don't you like, uh, why don't you describe a little bit what, how you guys are thinking about how this pandemic is going to impact that experience for the athletes? Yeah, that's, I think it's going to be the hardest part of all this as we all kind of get used to this new way of life. Um, I guess, fortunately, you know, in here in 2020, we have things like the internet and high, high speed internet and all these other ways to connect on social media. Um, cause otherwise we would be, you know, out of contact with a lot of people, I think. So, but yeah, getting to the races, um, we were already ready to go with, a plan of like, this is how Aravipa events will go forward from here forward indefinitely and varying levels. We never released that because we just had to postpone, but you know, it's things like um, maybe it's a rolling start where there's never more than a handful of people crossing the start line at one point in time. There's not a huge packed 
um, corral. It's more of a, you have a 30 minute window to begin your 26 K trail run and you kind of like filter through and then you, you spread that out. Maybe it's, we're going to go more of the self-sufficiency model of there's going to be fewer aid stations and there's going to be less offerings already. Actually at the, the event we had Mesquite Canyon a, a couple weeks ago when, you know, it was pretty low on the minds of a lot of people here. We had already, um, made major changes at our aid stations. So, um, volunteers had to hand you food. You couldn't just dive in. We had little Dixie cups of M&Ms. You volunteers couldn't touch your bottle. You had to open it up and they had to pour it in. So we were already being proactive as we could be. Um, I think our finish line experience is going to be tough once we can resume where everyone just wants to hug and drink beer together and do all this stuff. And it's like, that might need to change for the foreseeable future until the world gets a handle on this. Um, but I think, I think all of us will be willing to do that just to get out on the trails together, just in to be around one another, even if we can't do all that again. So, yeah. And where, where are you looking to get guidance on that from? Are you still leaning on the CDC and things that are getting pushed down from the federal the state level? I mean, you mentioned that some of these changes came about even before, you know, this pandemic kind of took roots. Like what, what are you looking at to, to get guidance on that? I think, I mean, I think some of it is just our own intuition on it all, you know, like how are we going to reduce the spread? I think it's also reading about the recommendations that they're saying. And I know it's, it can change all the time. Um, But I, I don't know that there's been specifically something out there on guidance of like what to do at an event. Um, I think we were also looking at other larger, race companies. I know I took a look at Ironman's at one point in time, they had like a pretty good list of things. I was like, just like discouraging, you know, high fives and think even things on the podium. And so it's like all things you can do. Um, right now, none of that matters, of course, but I think it will become important as you know, some of the guidelines lift at some point and they're saying, okay, gatherings of such and such size are okay. But I think we all still need to be as cautious as we can for a while. Yeah. Well, race management, I think some, one of the reasons that you got into it and what attracts you to it is not only the problem solving, but it becomes like a hub of the community. Everybody's training Mm -hmm. for an event and those events become this like focal point for hundreds and sometimes thousands of runners at one singular moment in time. And they come in with, you know, themselves obviously, but they come in with their family and crew and it definitely is a communal gathering. And one of the reasons that I go to, to a lot of races is just because I like it. I think it's cool. I love hanging out with the people at the races. I love seeing my athletes, uh, competed them and things like that. And I want very much for that integral fabric of our community to be, to, to, to be maintained as much as possible. I want it to, to continue, but at the same time, we know it's going, we absolutely know it's going to be disrupted. It's going to be disrupted a lot in the here and now and to a significant amount, maybe like later on down, uh, 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 down the line. What can you say to like, to that, like, what are your predictions in terms of what the race scene might look like six months or a year from now in terms of, are we going to have to interact differently? Are there going to be less, you know, races out there because people are going out of business? Like what, what are you prognosticating at the end of this tunnel? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some casualties in all this. Um, definitely. I mean, we, we could be looking at, you know, tightening up our race calendar possibly, Um, it's a very real thing. Um, we just don't know right now. Um, maybe a new format of an event is created out of this, um, that we don't know about yet, you know, um, more of like, maybe it's more time trialing or something where it's like you go off one at a one or two at a time, every couple of minutes, who knows? Um, you know, just cause I think people are still hungry for, all the things we love about trail and ultra running it's half the time. It's like, I love getting out there cause I just want to be in nature, but also know that there are other people doing that at the same time in the same area. And I'm still achieving something and there is some level of support that someone's put together. So yeah. Um, I think it, 
it could be something like that maybe where it's like we go and set up a course and and some timing and but maybe it's more of a, a you know a self-autonomous adventure that and i think people are still going to want to do that and and still come together so we just have to see what the world looks like. Yeah, it, it'll be a shame. And I think you think the same way. It'll be a shame if we do see some casualties from it, whether it's races that you put on or race organizers that just kind of, you know, they just throw on the towel and they say, I just can't do this anymore. Because we do we do have a discrepancy between the amount of supply of races that are out there and the demand for trail running races. And you're probably aware of the, you know, the data that came out earlier in the year where it seems like for the last five years, it doesn't seem like there is for the last five years, we've had double digit growth in trail and ultra running in, in North America. And because of the permitting uh, restrictions that, that we have that are pervasive across the country, the events themselves can't grow they've got a hard cap and it's usually hundreds of athletes, not thousands of athletes. And in order to satiate the market that's coming into place, you can't grow. If you can't grow the event, you have to grow the number of events. And if you're growing the number of events and some of those start to go the way of the Dodo because of the economics of all of this, you're even after at the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is now you have an even greater discrepancy between the demand that you're seeing in the marketplace from the runners that want to go do events and the supply that the people that can offer it, which puts even more pressure on the race directors where they have to hold lotteries and, you know, the yippee to boohoo ratio of people that get in and people that don't. So it's going to be, you know, there's going to be uh, flow through uh, effects of this that are going to last for a few years because new races are going to need to boot up after this is all said and done to replace the races that, that go by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah, this will be the probably. I mean, when we look at ultra running year in review 2020, it's going to be like that nice growth curve. And then we're going to see just a cliff in in race finishes. And then probably once we can get back to it, maybe next year, the next year after that, it'll be like, yeah, we should start. We should start taking bets on that because I think it was like around 140,000 or something like that last year. And then. I wonder if we could, we could probably start a pool that has an over under and submit it to the Vegas odd makers and, and see what Unless they say. we can count all these virtual run finishes or something or yeah, I, think, I mean, FKT FKTs are going to explode. That's what's going to happen. I I just saw there was, um, Alison Baca on the Air Viper racing team. She just went and did a FKT on Mount Wrightson in Tucson. It's like, I think that's going to become the norm for a while. Yeah. It's certainly going to get a little bit of a spotlight put on it because it's an outlet mm-hmm. that, you know, that people, at least as of now, and this is to, to timestamp this just to make sure yeah. it doesn't become obsolete four hours from now. We're recording this at, a, at almost 11 AM on Thursday, March 19th. At least for now, we can still go out in most places, not everywhere in most places yeah. and still experience the outdoors. Who knows if that's going to be the case an hour from now, a day from now or a month from now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jamil, we're going to let you go, man. I know you got emails to get back to in your inbox and probably a few social media messages and things like that. You want to leave everybody with some parting thoughts? Um, Yeah, I guess just stay hopeful, stay strong, stay fit wherever you can, even if that's running around your living room, which is becoming a trend now. Who would have thought? Um, Yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate what you do for the community. Thanks for taking some of your valuable time and, and uh, coming on the podcast. I think the listeners will certainly enjoy it and get back to it, man. Thanks so much. All right, peace. That was it. There you have it. Jamil and I shooting the shit on what's going to happen in the race management community mentioned from the onset. These are really wild and unprecedented times right now, but you guys give some, give some freaking relief and give the race director some freaking slack on these things. I get it. A lot of you are hurting out there. A lot of you may have lost part or all of your income and to add to the gut punch, your race fees that you paid for a lot of it might not be refundable don't take it out on the race directors. It's not their fault. They're trying to navigate this world just like we all are. They have businesses to run. They have their own incomes to think about. They are really honestly trying to do 
the best thing for the community to the best ability that they that they are capable of. And I realize that's not going to satisfy everybody, but nobody's trying to become a zillionaire off of race management. Yeah, you know, a lot of race managers, they make decent livings and they're allowed to do that. But as Jamil kind of explained to me, you know, kind of off off air, and he illuminated in the podcast as well. He's taking a hit for this. His company's taking a hit. They're all feeling the impact. There are going to be races that uh, that go under. There are going to be races that we have come to love and know and we've run year after year that do not see the other side of this tunnel. And that's extremely unfortunate. So give these race directors some slack. Give them some space. And when the time comes go back to the racist people when it's safe and the governments and the permitting agencies and things like that declare this pandemic to a safe level where we can all start going out and doing races again, go back out there, enjoy it and treasure it. And I hope that you all, uh, just come to appreciate what goes on or what goes into putting on a race and actually the privilege that we all have in participating in these events where we can share the trails and some camaraderie and some shared suffering. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it a ton. I'm going to keep this podcast coming out every week. This week was a special one, two ones in this week, two episodes in this week. I'm going to keep them coming out. I've had a lot of logistical challenges uh, with guests. I record about half of these in person and the other half uh, remotely, which was the case with uh, uh, this podcast with Jamil. And uh, obviously the ones that, uh, that I had scheduled in person, we are, uh, we've had to postpone. If you listen to the last podcast, I had two really, really cracking ones lined up. Uh, one of them over at the Olympic Training Center talking about uh, heat and altitude uh, acclimation. And the other one with uh, USADA, uh, which is here locally in Colorado Springs, talking about doping and ultra running. But unfortunately, we're going to have to postpone those. I will get them back on the calendar at some point. I promise everybody I'm going to get them back on the calendar at some point. But it might be a while because people's schedules are quite frankly all over the place. Uh, so I do have a couple podcasts coming up with a few of our coaches. And here's your tease for the day. Our former intern, Jackson Brill, who's also a Solomon runner, uh, he did some cool research recently at the University of Colorado having to do with when to run and when to walk and how to determine when to switch between those two modalities. Uh, it's really actually quite fascinating. I listened to his honors thesis uh, online just recently. So I'm going to bring him on. We're going to talk about it and uh, have a good time with it. So you guys... Appreciate the heck out of you. If you have not had the chance, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Go ahead and give it a rating or a like. Love to see all those kind of come through. It helps out a lot. Appreciate the heck out of you. At some point, we'll see you back out on the trails. Until then, stay healthy, stay happy, and come on, give the race directors a break, people. They're fighting through this just like everybody else. Peace out. See you on the other side. 